You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. All right, Bible's open to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be looking primarily at verse 33, but also some verses around it. Loved ones, new series today. This is a big deal right now. This is a big deal. This morning is going to be a little bit different. Okay, just so you know, uh, we're preaching early right now, early in the service. We're going to have a song of response to that. Then we're going to download the campaign that we are starting today too called Seek First the Kingdom as an explanation of that. And then we're going to see a video which is so encouraging and then the service will end. So lots happening today, but Seek First the Kingdom is the series we begin over the next month, Lord willing. Let me just say this about this series. This is an important time. Um, You're going to hear why today. This is an opportune time. You're going to hear that as well. Um, Really, this is a heart check time. We are about to enter into, in one verse, really the, the defining purpose of the Christian life. This is one of these verses you say you follow Christ? Oh yeah? Prove it with the fruit of your life. By seeking first the kingdom. It's a heart check time. So, my dad was a family doctor. He's still doing uh, medical work in nursing homes and stuff, but he's a family doctor. So I grew up, and my dad, in this stereotypical kind of doctor sense, he often came home with his doctor bag. All right, remember that kind of black bag that doctors carried around? And in that black bag were lots of fun toys, as a five-year-old, for me to play with, and my siblings as well. And part of these toys was you had that little device that looks in the ear with the light, you know, and you're looking in and it's trying to perform that task upon your siblings, poor siblings, and other little things there to stick your tongue and say, ah, ah, and all kind of stuff. But the best toy in the bag was the stethoscope, right? So you got the stethoscope out, whether you're three or five or seven or nine years old, and you put it on, you ran around that house to find out who's still alive, right? Can I hear your heart? Can I hear your heart? But one of the funnest things was, one of the great, most enjoyable part was, is you got to listen to your own heart. And as a kid, that's pretty exciting. And you're like, mommy, I'm still alive, you know? One of those things, and that's so great too. So this is what's happening here today in many, many ways right now. I'm fired up about it. The Holy Spirit is putting on his spiritual stethoscope. He's going aisle by aisle, row by row, and chair by chair, and he's taking and listening to your heart to make sure it's beating for Jesus Christ. I mean, I kid you not, that's what's happening today. We're going to find out where we are spiritually. We're going to find out where we are before the Lord in terms of our hearts because where your heart is, everything else flows from that. This series is a spiritual examination. And I'm excited what the Lord's going to say to us. It's checkup time, which is so right. And you know what? I I just want to share this with you. I mean, the Holy Spirit's already doing a checkup on my heart. And it's like, it hurts, but so healing at the same time. It's so good. I want it more. Expose more sin in my life, God. Show me more where I need to change. Tell me more of the, the power of the kingdom and the blessing of serving you and saying no to the world. More, God, I want more because it's right. And it's just so purpose-filled. And there's so much joy in it as well. This is what I'm praying will happen to all of us. It's time to wake up and smell the reality of the kingdom in our midst and all that God has saved us for. Matthew 6, verse 31. And we'll look at these verses today. 
primarily verse 33, but look at verse 31. Therefore, Jesus says this, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Notice, for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Here we go. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Let us remember, church, that this passage is contained within the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5 through 7. This is the greatest sermon ever given, of course, given by Jesus. Our main verse, verse 33, it contains the primary subject of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the kingdom of God. Our verse also contains the strongest imperative pertaining to the most important subject, kingdom of God. The strongest imperative is seek first. So, allow me to point out, within one verse, verse 33, you arguably have one of the greatest commands regarding one of the greatest themes, all within the greatest sermon ever given. So, if you're in the original audience and you are picking up what Jesus is putting down, and you realize just how significant what he said, and as it adds to your life, that's one of those moments you're like, I'm sorry, could you repeat that, Jesus? I want to make sure I get that down. Uh, I'm going to write that down, because that's, that's a zinger. This is a life changer. This is a life-defining verse, actually. I have to make sure that I have this verse down on my notes and in my heart. So we're going to keep it simple today. Really only have one main point to our outline, not trying to be clever. We have some subpoints as well. But here it is, because it's so important. It's this. Number one is this. We must seek first the kingdom of God. We must. No exceptions in the room today. We must Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, the context of our passage, which is so, I just, God's word is, is just awesome. The context of our passage is dealing with anxiety, specifically within the temporal. Question, right away. Are we anxious over the temporal? Do we worry a lot about the world and the things of the world. Here's what you got to know. Jesus has a lot to say about our constant anxiousness over things in the end that matter not. Look at verse 25 of chapter 6. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Some of us are getting anxious just hearing the word anxious said so much. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Uh, finally, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, 
Whenever one word shows up in one passage this often, it is abundantly clear what the Holy Spirit is trying to convey to us. It should be abundantly clear what Jesus himself is trying to communicate to his listeners and to us today, all right? Notice here, okay, notice this too. When you're studying Matthew 6 here, notice how much Jesus anticipates that we will struggle with anxiety. This was written and said 2,000 years ago in the current environment that Jesus understands the people he's speaking to are riddled with anxiety, especially over the things of the world. 2,000 years later, it hasn't changed. He knows. He knows everything. He knows how much we struggle with anxiousness and stress and worry. Amazing to me, again, just noticing that right off the bat. So three times Jesus commands, do not be anxious. Two other times, Jesus appeals to the futility of anxiety. Like, I love, I love verse 27. This is one of these just amazing verses. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Hey, how's your anxiety working for you? Has it helped you at all? And the answer is no. Anxiety is useless. Worry does nothing for us but age us, cause us to lose sleep, and stress us out about things that we ultimately can't control. Jesus says himself, when is the last time your anxiety has actually houred, added an hour to your span of life? Never. I mean, I love these verses because when you're tempted with anxiety, the Holy Spirit whispers and says, you can be anxious, but it'll never, ever help you in the end. And you're like, yeah, that's right. Anxiety's dumb. Trusting the Lord is smart. Faith in Christ is awesome. Just know it's futile to live our lives in anxiousness, particularly over that which will not last. But notice the but in verse 33. You got to see that there. Here comes the contrast. Ready? What Jesus is about to say is this is the antidote to anxiety. This is the path of purpose. This, verse 33, is the provision of peace. Loved ones, look right here, look right here, look right here. Ready, ready? You cannot miss what Jesus is saying right now. What he's about to unpack in verse 33 is literally and truthfully the antidote to anxiety. This is the path to peace. So many of us are not filled with peace. So many of us have, have anxiety. Jesus is like, I know I'm going to help you right now. I'm going to tell you the antidote to your anxiousness that is seeking to ruin your life. I mean, this is where you just, if you are listening and understanding what God's word is saying, I mean, this is a life changer. Do not miss this. There's no excuse right now. Jesus is so abundantly clear. This is how you solve the problem of anxiety and worry and unnecessary stress over the temporal within our lives. That's how big a deal verse 33 is. What's verse 33? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Let's, let's break the rest of the sermons on just this one verse. Let's break this verse down right now. I'm excited to do that with you. Uh, point 1A, or our first sub-point is this then. Seek first means number one priority. Seek first 
at its most basic form, means number one priority. Question, what's the number one priority of your life? Go ahead, stop right now. Try to get an answer in your heart and mind. What is, I'll say it again, man, and don't avoid it. What is the number one priority of your life right now? What do you care most about? What are you most putting your affections towards? What is most important to you? What is the number one priority of your life? This isn't a time we throw out some Christianese and say the right answers. Let's just be honest. God knows. He knows everything. It's between you and the Lord, between me and the Lord. What is the number one priority of our lives? Well, it has some examples of how our world works and often the priorities of our lives. I wrote down a bunch of possible answers to this question, and they all happen to start with F. Uh, I have seven Fs, if not a few sub-Fs as well, all right? Here's the first F that I wrote down. Um, Often our number one priority is our family or friends, family and friends. That's great, but if it's your number one priority, it's wrong. Jesus said that people will be called to leave mothers, brothers, sisters, fathers for the sake of his gospel and his kingdom. If our families are the only thing or the highest thing we're living for, that's great. It can't be first, man. His kingdom's got to be first. Friendships sometimes will absolutely dominate our entire existence. That's wrong. The kingdom is greater. Here's another F, finances. Many of us, our number one priority is money. If we're honest with ourselves, our time and our thoughts and our affections are wrapped up in the consumption with trying to accumulate and gain more standing in terms of financial order within our lives and gain. That's wrong. We're going to hear that today for sure from God's word. That's wrong. There's another F. Fashion. For some of us, our appearance is the number one priority of our lives. Our makeup, our clothing, our physique Fashion, our world is obsessed with forms of fashion. It is literally leading people through their lives on how they appear. Here's another F, fun. Um, The pursuit of entertainment. Um, Under fun, hey young people, Fortnite. There's an F. (laughs) Fortnite alone is the number one priority of young men Older men and people in general, by the way, it's a video game if you're totally out of touch, whatever. It is, it is, it is, people are governing their lives around a video game and everything else is ordering up against that. That is wrong. Here's another F, Ferrari. You say, what do you mean? It's the pursuit of an object. If I can just buy this thing, I'm, everything I'm doing, I'm trying to say, I want to get this. If I can get this thing, if I can get this house, if I can get this place, if I can get this object, then that's my number one priority. See how that goes for you. There's another F, food. You're like, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, gluttony's a problem. It's amazing how we drive. Our flesh is so strong and really the only thing we want to do in our lives is just an appetite really for physical. It drives us. Last stuff I wrote down was, was fame. And under that, ready, another F, Facebook. It's amazing. It's amazing how many people are driven for status, recognition, reputation. I want to be seen in a certain light. And it's become the number one priority of our lives is presenting an image for credibility and influence and recognition for the people around us. 
I didn't take that long to come up with those F's. It's amazing how much it applies to our lives. This is so important. Now, look at, look at verse 32 now. Look what Jesus says. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. The Gentiles are what? Non-Jews in this case. Um, so in, in, in our context, heathen, unbelievers, those who are not alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, unbelievers are preoccupied. They seek after the temporal. It's the temporal that drives their lives. It's what they seek after. It's their pursuit. It's their passion. Gentiles, unbelievers, those who are spiritually blind, they are motivated by the physical. Okay, but listen, listen. But citizens of heaven must be motivated by the spiritual. Think about it. Um, Gentiles, heathen, unbelievers, they don't know better. You can't expect an unbeliever to act like a believer. The heathen, they are what? They are spiritually blind. They cannot see. It takes the Spirit of God to be able to discern the things of the Spirit. The heathen, the unbelievers, they are lost. They're wandering around. They don't know where to go. They're just going through life as as best they can and what they're seeing right there. And they're pursuing all the sinful tendencies. At the end of the day, the heathen, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, they're dead. They're dead. You can't expect the dead person to look alive for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That requires the Holy Spirit of God to change them before fruit actually comes from them. You can't expect the Gentile or the heathen or the unbeliever to seek after the kingdom of God. But wait a second, what about the Christ follower? What about the individual who is born again by the Spirit of God, who is alive by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who professes Christ, who's given eyes to see, who is now a child of God, who's an heir of Christ, who is headed to heaven? What about the man or woman or child who professes to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they look no different than the world around them? That is a massive spiritual problem. If you and I are professing Christ, but look the same as the Gentiles, There's a theological incompatibility there which should trouble us greatly. Jesus says the Gentiles seek after all these things, but you, you're different. You, your whole life from its essence should be different in the things you desire and you pursue. Question, question. What does your life look like? And if we hold up our lives and it looks just like the world, that's a problem. That's a problem. And Jesus knows it. And he loves us enough today to tell us. When Jesus here, when he commands, but seek first, uh, that means our supreme choice, our greatest pursuit. Um, To seek first is you learn where something is and you go after it. There it is. I'm going for it. Uh, Think of an athlete pursuing their prize. Think of a young man pursuing his future wife. That's seeking after something. Think of a farmer pursuing the harvest. Think of a teenager pursuing their smartphone. You know, that's not entirely fair because all of us, most of us, almost all of us would have a problem with that as well. Notice within this text here, it's not the elimination of lesser things. In this context, food and clothing. You're not denying that you need those, but there's a higher purpose and ambition to seek first the kingdom, and then the lesser things get added in, Jesus says, according to his promise. See the word first there in in verse 33? In Greek, it's a proton from protos, proto type, meaning leading, foremost, uh, most important, first in time and place. Without a doubt here, Jesus is commanding our priorities. Seek first means number one 
priority. Again, again, question, what are our priorities? Loved ones, our priorities determine the path of our lives 100% of the time. Do you want to know what your priorities are? Again, reminded this week again, if you want to know what your priorities are, find out two questions. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? I hesitate saying our money because it's God's, but you know what I mean. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? And you can add a third thing, your thought life, that will tell you what your priorities are. Just take a moment. I mean, you should be pretty clear. Just go through the last week. What'd you spend the most time on? What'd you spend God's money on? Those are the priorities of our lives. That is in reality what we are seeking with our lives. I came across this week a very helpful illustration. Some of you have heard this probably multiple times um, from Stephen Covey. Um, and I'm going to spiritualize it a little bit. It's very practical of when he did it, but I'm going to spiritualize it. A uh, little a graph on the screen for you just to learn here. So uh, there's a story of the time management expert who was speaking to a group of business students. He pulled out a large wide mouth jar and filled it with fist-sized rocks. When he couldn't put any more in, he asked, is this jar full? The class responded, yes. He said, really? Then he pulled out a bucket of gravel and poured it in, shaking it down to the cracks. Then he asked, is the jar full? The students were onto him, and they said, no. Good, he replied. He dumped in a bucket of sand. Once more, he asked, is the jar full? No, they shouted. Again, he said, good. He poured in a pitcher of water until the jar was full to the brim. Then he asked, what is the point of the illustration? One student ventured, no matter how full your schedule, if you try hard enough, you can always fit more in. No, the speaker replied. That is not the point. The point is this. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. Okay? Let's spiritualize that. The kingdom is the single biggest rock we could ever hold in our lives. Not to mention, loved ones, it's the only eternal rock. The sand and gravel, they will pass away. But that which is invested in the kingdom of God will endure forever. Okay, If our lives are filled with sand and gravel, we will miss out mega on this life. And here's what I know, because I know my own heart, and I listen to a lot of you as well. In our day and in our society, we are often consumed with water, sand, and gravel. And if there's enough left over, maybe we try to jam in the kingdom of God in one rock and try to fit that into our lives. That is the opposite of what Christ says we should be living like. He says, you can't be like that. That's what the world's like. Are you really my child or not? Is there really fruit from your life or not? But seek first the kingdom of God is what he says. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and to me right now. Seek first means number one priority. Takes us to our second subpoint, which is this. The kingdom of God means number one passion. Number one passion. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God. Now when we speak of the kingdom of God here, here's what we mean. Okay, The phrase kingdom of God, loaded. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, synonymous. Let me put a definition here up on the screen for you from John MacArthur. Okay, The definition, seek first his kingdom. What does that mean? Seek first his kingdom means to seek God's rule. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. His rule, God's will, and God's authority, right? You you, you are seeking to live your life under his rule, his will, and his authority. So let's just unpack that a little bit and add some color to this. Go to the next part of the slide. What this means then, 
if we are seeking first the kingdom, we submit to his rule. A life of surrender, submission. Our ambition is his will, right? So Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. That's it exactly right there. Lord, my life is lived for your kingdom, your will, not my own. And then our adoration is under his authority. We worship the sovereign God. It's so right to, oh, praise the only one. And to praise we, we adore him. And when you do these things, you are seeking first the kingdom. That's a big deal, though, because when this actually happens, man, your life is changing. Like our desires go to the side and God's desires come to the forefront. He is our goal. He is our object of affection. He is the one we seek to live for. By the way, I want to point this out as we go through this text today. I'm to seek first the kingdom of God. Let's understand this. To seek first the kingdom is not how you become a Christian. You become a Christian by grace through faith, by believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins. What seek first the kingdom is, is proving you are a Christian. It's the fruit. You're not earning something from God. You are proving you belong to God and love him because your life looks different as a result and because you want to live for him who matters, not for that which will be empty. Think about it this way. Why, as a born-again child of God, would you seek the world if you already knew it was empty? Why would you do that? Why, as a born-again child of God, would you store up treasures on earth if you know they won't last? Why would you do that? Why would you build bigger barns here on earth at the end of the day if God will look at you and say, you moron, you foolish one. The Bible says that. And call it, why would we do that? That would be in, the, in light of the kingdom of God and the wisdom that God's given us. If we live for these things, that's spiritual idiocy. That just proves we don't get it. We've completely missed what Jesus has put down over and over and over again. See, what do you mean? It's a marvel that Jesus talked more about money than heaven. Think about that. It's a marvel to me that Jesus talked more about money than hell. Think about that. It's a marvel that Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. Think about that. That's saying something. Of the 39 recorded parables in the Gospels, 11 of them are directly pertaining to the subject of money. In fact, in Luke's gospel, almost every page in it contains something teaching on the area of money. I always get a kick out of people who don't like sermons on money, and you would not like Jesus' sermons then. And if Jesus was pastoring a church, you'd be walking out of his church all the time. But see, Jesus loves us enough to tell us what we need to hear. Remember, it's in the context of our very passage, anxiety over the temporal, and the context of our entire chapter. Look at Matthew 6, verse 24, the very verse before our passage. It says this, no one can serve two masters. 24, for either he will hate the one and love the other, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Here you go. You cannot serve God and money. How clear is Jesus? You cannot serve God and money. Money. This is why I don't shy away from such teachings, and this is why this month, honestly, is a spiritually powerful month. Why? Because often, here's what we know in our day today, often, the single greatest obstacle to seeking first the kingdom of God is love of money. Often. 
often the greatest obstacle to seeking first the kingdom is the love of money. Again, it's hard to miss. You cannot serve both God and money. I know people get mad at me. Honestly, I don't really care. Because why? Because when our wallets get converted, our heart is converted. Or you can flip that. When our heart is truly converted, our wallets must also be converted. See, Robbie, why would you say that? Matthew 6, verse 21. Just look. Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to find your treasure? Find your heart. You want to find out where your heart is? Want to find where your heart is really? Find where you treasure. Whatever you treasure, that's your heart, man. You treasure money, that's your heart. Your heart's on money. Jesus knows this. You're not seeking first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. The powerful understanding. This is why then, and by the way, the, the subject of God's kingdom always blessed me so much. I get enthralled by the kingdom of God and all that it means within Scripture. Here's some verses I want to unpack quickly for you. Notice this from Matthew's gospel again, Matthew 19. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of God, or kingdom of heaven. Notice he doesn't say a rich person won't enter, but with great difficulty a rich person. Why? Because wealth breeds self-sufficiency the love of money is a snare wealth is a huge distraction wealth makes us think that we don't really need god so it's great difficulty a rich person enters the kingdom of heaven again i tell you it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter god's kingdom seek first the kingdom of god jesus knows what he's talking about here's another verse Uh, mark chapter 9 the kingdom of god loved ones is serious Part of the reason that some of us are not seeking first God's kingdom is because we love sin too much. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Whoa, that's pretty serious. It is be- why? It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Who said that? Jesus. It's pretty like, whoa, man, like, that's throwing it down. I know. Think about that. The love of sin ruining our relationship with God and prohibiting us from living with vitality in God's kingdom, remember, the day will come, Jesus Christ, so soon, face to face. And whatever you're holding on to and not willing to tear it out, to take radical measures to eliminate sin from your life, that'll be one of the biggest regrets you've ever made, ever had. The kingdom of God is serious stuff. Next slide. Luke chapter 9. I went Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in these. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back. The kingdom of God is single-mindedness. It's not, yeah, man, I'm signing for Jesus, but then I'm just looking around and he's one compartment of 20 in my life. No, no, no. You put your hand to the plow, you're going for the kingdom of God because that's what lasts, that's what's most important. But anyone who looks back and looks around and decides I'm going to fall away or do something else, well, they're, they're not fit. They're not fit for the kingdom of God. And the last one, John chapter 3 Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again. The kingdom of God can't be seen unless you are born again by the Holy Spirit. You are made alive. The Holy Spirit makes you a new creation. Could it be right now? Could it be? I I have no idea. So I'm going to pause long enough for this moment right here. Could it be that your life is not living for God's kingdom at all? And you've always wondered about that. Why is there like really no fruit? Could it be that you've never truly been saved in Jesus Christ? I have no idea who that applies to, but it applies to some. 
Could it be that you've learned to play the game, even in our damn culture? You've learned to play the game, you come to church, you feel better about yourself, but is there an actual, vibrant relationship authenticating the reality that Jesus Christ has saved you, has set you free, has forgiven your sins by grace through faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by grace? You are made alive in Jesus Christ, and now you can see. Because when you, when you go from death to life, man, your eyes, I remember the day I was saved. I spent 22 years of some kind of religion. The day I was saved, man, I could see. I, could, I shouted from the top of my lungs, I can see, I can see, I can see the light. Where the whole before that was living in darkness. When you are truly born again, man, you see, and then why would you live for that which matters not? The kingdom of God, loved ones, it means number one, passion. Third sub-point is this then. His righteousness means number one, pursuit. His righteousness is to be our number one pursuit. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God, notice, and his, so seek first his righteousness. So what does that mean, seek first his righteousness? In a word, holiness. In another word, character. In another word, sanctification, becoming more like Jesus Christ. Okay, so here's a profound statement. Ready? It's, it's very, very profound. Here it is. Ready? You got to listen carefully. The more we are like Christ, then the more we are like Christ. I know it's deep, man. It's deep. I'll say it again because some of you didn't get it yet, okay? It's this. The more we are like Christ, then the more we are like Christ. Meaning, As we become like Christ, we think like Christ, we speak like Christ, we act like Jesus, we love like Christ, we desire like Jesus, we give like Christ, we seek first the kingdom like Jesus Christ. So, the more holy we are, the closer we are to God. And the closer we are to God, the less we live for the world. You gotta see it this way. Seek first his righteousness, It's theologically impossible to seek his righteousness and not seek his kingdom. Little bit of a theological tightrope right now. In Christ, we are made fully righteous. Our justified state. God sees us as innocent. We are, the guilt sentence is gone. We are forgiven forever. His righteousness upon us. And yet... Before Christ returns, we still have the old man, the old self within us, our sinful nature that we are battling against every day, which will be finally dealt with when Jesus returns, and we can't wait for that day. So in the New Testament, there's this tightrope, there's a seesaw of we're fully righteous in Christ, yet we need to be made more righteous through a pursuit of holiness, not to earn anything from God, to show how much we love him. Again, there's always the indicative what is in the past with the imperative what needs to be in the present. For example, this past week, so blessed from 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is exactly what's happening. Paul's writing to Timothy, fully saved in Jesus Christ. Righteousness of Christ within Timothy. But notice what he says to him. He says, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord, quoting the Old Testament now, depart from iniquity. See, do you know Jesus Christ? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we are alive in Jesus Christ, we hate sin. 
We want to flee from that which has brought us down in the past. And the text continues two verses later. Look at this in verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, sin, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Watch the verbs here. When we pursue, when we depart from iniquity as believers... We are set apart as holy, useful to the master, and ready. Look at it. Set apart, useful, and ready for every good work. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that you would be, if we let sin dwell in our lives too much, then what happens, we're not set apart for holiness, we're not useful, and we're not ready for good works. And that explains right now, that explains right now why some of us are lacking so much fruit. That's an important one. So this past season, my uh, oldest son, Aiden, uh, he started high school. He's 14 now, and uh, Jill and I decided it was the time that we were going to uh, let him get a phone. And so he got his first phone officially uh, in September. As part of that process, though, we have to set it up with accountability software. So went through the process of making sure that he had all that on his computer and uh, his phone as we're setting that up, then we would get messages. My wife and I would both get messages pertaining to Aiden's phone and computer if anything was out of order there. But I was setting up the process, and just in light of all that we're doing right now, I decided it would be a real kind of smart move, and I think an appropriate move, to double down on my own accountability. And so the same reporting methods that Aiden would get, or I get from Aiden, that I wanted to set it up, that, I, that Aiden would get it from me as well. And so... What's happening now is that, and this is something that's just been so much to me, honestly, you're sitting there and you say, so, and of course, Jill has gotten this from me for years, but here's the reality. Now it's set up that if, if I were to look at anything that would be inappropriate, um, in a moment, Aiden would receive a text message and get an indication that his dad has been doing something he shouldn't be doing. I mean, you want to talk about putting some, like, holy fear in you? You want to talk about, like, every time I think about that, if, 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 if my son were to ever receive a text message highlighting that his dad had been doing something. It's a whole new level of resolve and renewal for righteousness that I'm feeling upon my life through this very text right now. You know, it's so interesting. It was a couple of weeks ago when we set this up then. It was, my son did get a text of indication of something I looked at and it was dealing with marijuana. And... Um, it was when I sent out that tweet about marijuana. And so, hey, Dad, I got texted marijuana. You good, Dad? <laughs> Said, yeah, I'm, I'm good, son. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. But isn't that so healthy? Now, listen, listen. Here's the point of this whole thing. Around. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Ready, ready, ready. What unrighteousness is ruining your life and the pursuit of God's kingdom right now? Holy Spirit work, Holy Spirit work, Holy Spirit work. Stop making excuses, stop denying it, stop rationalizing it. What sin, unrighteousness, is preventing you from seeking first the kingdom and is trying to destroy your heart, ruin your life, and hurt your most precious relationships? Let me ask you, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? The answer is always no. Jesus is worth it. I'm telling you right now, man, some of you, the Lord just put a spotlight right on your heart, and he knows it. No one else will know it. You, you know it. What are you going to do about it? 
Are you going to just keep playing the game? To what end? Don't you see one of the greatest prayers the elders have for this service here today? Is that the Holy Spirit would put with such clarity we've never had before the foolishness of living for the world and the joy and the delight of living for the kingdom of God, which lasts forever. God, help us not live lives of regret. Help us to live lives of fruitfulness and passion and joy for Jesus Christ. Seek first the kingdom means number one priority, number one passion, number one pursuit. And then this is so good, we end with this. And all these things will be added means number one promise. Number one promise. Look at the end of verse 34, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and listen, and all these things will be added to you. That's a promise made by Christ. Do you, do you see and hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying this. He's saying, listen, if you seek first my kingdom, all those things you're worried about, all those stresses you have, all those circumstances of life you can't control anyways, all those desires, all those worries, all those obsessions and infatuations with the temporal. Let me see what he's saying right here. He's like, if you seek first the kingdom, if you make me and my glory and my kingdom your number one priority, he says, I promise, I promise to provide to you what you need. You're reading the same Bible I'm right now, man. This is what he's saying. He's not saying he'll promise to give you what you want. But he says, I'll promise to provide for you what you need. I mean, that's so awesome. Jesus says right now, to you right now, he says, you seek first my kingdom, I got your back. I mean, I'm looking at that this week. I am renewed again to say, why would I worry about all these other things if I can just focus my love and affection upon the kingdom of God and pursue his righteousness? Then I know, I know that Jesus says everything else will come into play when it needs to. Everything else will fall into place as God decides. That is so powerful. That is so awesome to live in that truth and to be like, I'm not going to stress over you, man. Forget that. I'm not going to be anxious about that thing. Forget that. What's the point? Seek first the kingdom. That's my priority. And God's like, I'll take care of everything else. That's a good deal, Lord. And he's like, I know. That's why I wrote it down. God, help us to live with wisdom. Help us to not be so dumb. Help us to understand the futility of the things around us, but in light of the fervency for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost every commentator gave this description at the end of verse 33. It's the, it's the example of Solomon. God says, Solomon, what do you want? Anything you ask, I'll give it to you. Solomon says, I want wisdom. God says, well done. Because you want wisdom, I'll give you everything else as well. That's the principle right here. You seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And you do it because you love him. And Jesus promises his provision of peace. He promises provision of need. He promises the provision of himself. Man, this is, like I'm a little more fired up than normal. This is everything. Like, like this is our whole life being held out in front of us saying, what is the point of my existence? Jesus says, here it is. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Like, if you treat this kind of like, whatever, and you just don't get it. You don't get it. I don't get it. We got to get it. Holy Spirit, help us to get it. Worship team, you guys can come up now. Let's do this. Let's just, let's just take a moment of stillness.
Let's bow our heads. We can put our things away, whatever we need to do. And really two questions right now. What is the Lord saying to you? And what do you need to say to the Lord? This is you and God right now. This is not about anyone else around you. This is a, this is a, intera- a, a supernatural conversation with the God of the universe who loves you so much, who sent his son to die for you, that we may now live for him and we might be so blessed in the process. What do you need to say to God? What is the Lord saying to you? It's kind of obvious what God says to us today, but maybe the Holy Spirit is so specific in application, or or he he already has. And you say, Lord, you're right. I'm I'm not going to fight this anymore. No more excuses. No more rationalization. I repent. I repent. And he forgives. He forgives in an instant. He's so kind that way. I just, he's so kind. He's so loving. He's so good. You ever think about it? He he gives messages like this in our lives because he just wants the best for us. That's all he wants. It's like a father with a child. I just want what's best for you. And when you seek first the world, it won't be best. But you seek first my kingdom and righteousness, that's the best. Besides, all these things will be added to you anyways. Change us, Lord. Change us, Lord. God, may this be one of the most powerful transformation seasons we've ever had as a church, ever, by the Holy Spirit of God. Do it, Lord. Do it.